My name is General Tony Zinni, former Commander-in-Chief of the United States Central Command and a lifelong Marine. A republic, if you can keep it. Those are the words Benjamin Franklin spoke when asked what kind of government our founders had forged in 1787. In the two centuries since our founding, millions have joined the fight to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. These last few years, however, all of us have sensed something broken in our democracy. No matter where your politics fall, the extreme division, the hateful rhetoric, I have seen the devastating consequences of other nations giving in to tribalism, divisiveness, distrust. The rule of law is cast aside. Its people are silenced. Democracy crumbles. And ultimately, the Republic is lost. If we work together today to defend our democracy, we can keep it tomorrow for our children and their children. So today, I challenge you, just like those before you, take steps right now that will reverberate through history. Protect and serve our democracy by texting REPUBLIC to 35565. You'll join a nationwide movement bringing together Americans of all political stripes to rescue our democracy. We're already making tangible changes to restore trust in the Republic, but we need to work together at an unprecedented scale to succeed. That means all of us. In the military, we say the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. And now it is our time to be the caretakers of that freedom. This is our Republic, America, so let's keep it. One of the things that I think is really interesting about what you're saying, and I want to clarify this, is, is that you keep saying, saying you. And I just want to make sure, like, do, do you, when you say you, do you literally mean me? Like, do you, do you think I'm, because you're right, I'm a Democrat, I'm a liberal, and I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm even a democratic socialist. I'll, I'll go that far. Um, but do you, do you really believe that I'm drinking blood of children? That's what they're telling me. That's what I've been reading about. I mean, I'm a very faithful reader of Breitbart and Daily Caller and Town Hall. And so what I want to do is just get general comments on, on the demonstration, and then I'll go to uh, questions, see what people thought. I have a question about the demonstration while, while other folks go ahead and keep putting yours in Mentimeter. On this one, I've seen you do a lot, a lot of these, obviously, over the years. On this one, you really engaged more on the the facts that, um, and I'm sorry, it's Jeffrey, right? Jeffrey, uh, that Jeffrey was bringing up. Like you yeah. went straight to the facts. In the past, I've seen you go back and pull back a little bit and say something to the effect of, "Oh, it sounds like you, you know, you're just very concerned about you have you have strong fears and concerns about the left and the country and the direction it's headed in." as opposed to engaging on the baby killing and the blood. Cancer. Yeah. So you're, you're absolutely right. Most of the time I sidestep factual claims. And the reason I, um, I, I went for it even th there was because he was using the word you. 
And um, I really wanted to highlight the fact that that he was saying these things about me personally. Usually um, there's a lot of, most of the time when I have these conversations, people will say they, they do this, they do that. And then I can kind of shift it and back and say, well, you know, are you referring to me? Because I'm a liberal, I'm a Democrat, you know, and then they usually back off very quickly and say, no, 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 of course you don't do that. And um, obviously he didn't do that in, in this conversation either, but that was really why I wanted to name it. The, the other reason is that it was so outlandish that sometimes it can help to just kind of name what the person is, is saying as a way of, for them to hear what it sounds like from the outside. And uh, not, you know, I wasn't saying it in a judgmental way. I was just like, okay, let's make sure I've got all of this, this and this and this and, and this. So sometimes that can cause the person to, to like almost reflect on their own beliefs a little bit. Didn't work in this case, but he did feel hurt. <laughs> do you want to address your mentimeter comments now you've got a bunch here do you want to just skim them? yeah the, um thanks uh, thanks for the comments everybody i'm gonna pick and choose a few that may warrant comment somebody said uh i'm frankly afraid to engage with people at this point people seem more ready to rumble than than talk and i i get that anxiety when i first started doing this work i was a little scared too but i've been pleasantly surprised by how uh, how positive my my interactions are people tend to be a lot more scary uh, in in the abstract than they are in person, particularly if you approach them in the way that that I'm presenting here. And one one of the ways to start testing out these skills is actually, and I know this is going to sound counterintuitive, but to do it on social media. And the reason I say that is because there's a certain distance that that comes from being on social media. You um, are not in the same room with the person. Uh, you might not even know them. So you don't have the, the threat that comes from maybe interacting with someone you know initially. And um, you also have time to think through your responses and you don't have to respond immediately to, to what they say. And I found that that was a really good way to kind of um, build my skills for having these conversations. And, and one of the things I like to tell people is, you know, I've been having these conversations online now since 2016. And despite that, and I have them totally in public. I don't, I don't have these conversations in private on social media. And I've really only had to block like two or three people 
in in all the years that that I've been doing it. And even people who start out trolling me when I use these methods to converse with them over like very quickly, I can engage them in real conversation. So it, I, I, I get your anxiety, but my experience has been that uh, reality is not consistent with, with that anxiety. It looked difficult even for Dr. Tamarius, even though she's already quite skilled at it. You know, every conversation is challenging in, in some way. And I think it's, it's okay to stumble through a conversation a little bit. You know, it's, it's that in some ways is part of the vulnerability, right? That's one of the things that earns trust is, is having the other person see you working really hard to connect with them. And, you know, maybe not always saying the right thing or the perfect thing, but giving it a, a real try. And there's a natural inclination in that situation to want to reciprocate, to give back in the same way. So they tend to work harder the more they see you working hard. I've seen your methods at work with a majority of rational people. So I know that it works. There's no question that it works. So, I mean, the reason I went so over the top was because I'm seeing more and more of the cult-type figures showing up and becoming brave enough to give voice to their, 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 uh, their whole, you know, right. thing. So it's not that I, I purposely made it as difficult as possible because we're seeing more of them, but I, I want to be the first to say I know that your methods work. Awesome. They, they really do. Let's see. Uh, I can see myself putting in this effort with my sister, but probably not with people I'm calling during phone banking. Yeah, um, certainly. I, I totally get that. And the thing is that over time, as you develop these skills, they, it, it takes less out of you. And I actually have reached a point where I find it really fun. One of my favorite things before the pandemic used to be getting seated next to a conservative on an airplane. <laughs> you know, someone getting on an airplane with like a MAGA hat and being like, yes, okay, we can have a great conversation. And it's because the, the, the conversations are so fascinating. And I have yet to encounter someone where the conversation doesn't go well. And they usually what happens is, is that they're shocked to learn that I'm a, a liberal from Berkeley. And it really has an impact on the way they think about who Democrats are and what they believe. Yeah, uh, well, you got several questions up there. I wonder if. With yeah, the let's, the yeah, we should probably get. Get to those. I'm sorry, I haven't been able to get to everything. Let's see, Dana. Did have have I gotten to you before? No, just a, actually not a question. A quick comment as a testimony. I, I'm a sociologist. I work in conflict zones and stuff like that. These kind of techniques have worked in Iraq and uh, uh, dealing with polarized ethnic conflict in the context of AQ and everything like that. 
And the second quick comment is that we don't have to view these as aiming at changing a mass of people. One of the ways of thinking about them is as graphite in reactors, right? You put enough graphite in a nuclear reactor, it doesn't melt down. And really mm -hmm. what we're trying to do right now is make sure the democracy does not melt down. And so emotional dissolution, which was the particular term that we talked about, lowering of intensity yep. means that there's less likelihood of that person like Jeffrey talking to another person, talking to another person and pumping it up. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for, for offering that. That is a great observation. I'm actually teaching, teaching a, a training at uh, Netroots Nation this year on, on having cooling conversations, which, which is precisely that, that point. Like you're not trying to convert them, you're just trying to bring them down a notch so they don't hate you so much. And, and that can have a, make a really big difference. Thank you. Joseph. My question is, how would you have a conversation? Let's say you're coming from a liberal perspective or progressive perspective. How would you have a conversation with someone who is kind of turned, turned against the left? They might even still support. I'm thinking of a particular person here. They might even still support, at least theoretically, certain left-wing positions like maybe universal health care because it would benefit them, right? Um, mm -hmm. But they've kind of, they've just become alienated by the left because of, because they're just so turned off by, you know, what they call wokeness or, you know, so social justice warriors, that kind of thing. They're, no, I'm not, no, I'm mm -hmm. not saying that the right doesn't do the same stuff. Obviously, right. there, there, are tr there are plenty of trolls on the right, but you know, a lot of times, like, especially on the the internet, you'll have this kind of, this almost kind of gleeful sort of condemnation, yep. and also just this kind of snark, right? This yep. really kind of snarky attitude among a lot of progressives, and also just mainstream liberals toward people with conservative views. So if when someone is just really just turned off by that so much that they've kind of gone to the dark side so to speak mm -hmm. uh, over that like how do yeah. you how do you communicate with them yeah that's a that's a great question um first off i use the exact same skills that that i just covered here but the the thing i find they really need is is empathy most people who have had that kind of reaction have suffered some kind of ego injury. Like they have been made to feel really bad about themselves or been shamed in some significant way. And, and what they need is uh, an opportunity to talk out about that in, in a space where they don't feel threatened and like they're going to be attacked again. So a lot of times I find this happens with white men who have considered themselves like very liberal and supportive of progressive causes all their life and um, are now being accused of having privilege and are having and being attacked for their white supremacy and and they don't understand what's 
happening. And, and that's by virtue of their life experience. And so it doesn't generally work to just say, well, go educate yourself or get, go get school. That, that's, they find that insulting. And they have been deeply wounded by the attack of being, the, the, being called racist when they don't, when they self-identify as not racist and anti-racist even. So giving them a place where they can talk about that openly, learn on, at their own pace about the ways in which um, racism works in our society that they may not be aware of, and offering some compassion, some empathy for that experience, and you know maybe telling a story or two about how you've had similar experiences and how you dealt with it can be very powerful. Two things on this point. One is in those conversations, the person having that conversation with them has to be a person of privilege too. So, you know, it's not the job of people of color to be offering empathy to white people who are, you know, still coming to terms with their own privilege. But as a fellow white person, you can do that and help them get over it. The second thing is, uh, now I forgot what the second thing is. There's a second thing. Oh, <laughs> second thing is um, my friend, David Camp, who teaches the, the white ally, or who wrote the white ally toolkit workbook, advocates very much for, for white allies to share stories of their own racism and ways in which they have been racist in the past for helping other white people get in touch with and their own racism. And he says, we don't do that enough. So I suggest okay. that too. Okay, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. Uh, B. Ellis, are you, did you have another question? Earlier, I had a question. I, I was at a um, gun safety rally yesterday, and while people hmm. were sharing, a man with an NRA hat, um, they, were, they allowed him to speak, and basically uh, he said he was new to our area, but you know he would be more than happy to help people understand how to keep schools safe by hide, duck, cover. And I had just that morning heard someone who has written a book, like everybody else has written a book, uh, from the FBI about, you know, you run if you can, you hide if, or no, pardon me, yeah, run if you can, hide if you must, and then defend. Um, and apparently 20% of uh, these mass shootings have actually been, um, you know, resolved by people without guns who just basically, you know, fought against the shooter. So how do you deal with somebody telling you, oh, well, we can just protect schools by, you know, hide, duck, cover? Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, so it depends on who the person you're talking to is like, is this a policymaker or is this just some random person who you are trying to influence their beliefs? This was just a random person, obviously his belief wearing a cap that said NRA, 
Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think told, and, told me who he was okay. when we were all wearing orange and talking. I mean, so, I read the testimony of Dr. Guerrero, you know, okay. that didn't move anybody. And immediately afterwards, the House voted and it narrowly passed a resolution uh, along party lines where no Republican voted to increase the age um, right. to 21. I think one, another part was ghost guns and the other part was, um, was it, no, it wasn't magazines, but I mean, it was pretty, I mean, it wasn't banning assault rifles. Do you right. know what I'm saying? Right. It was so so here's, here's my question. Why is it so important to you to change his mind on that specific issue? Like that, that specific policy point. My fear is that by spreading information that will be more harmful um, is, I mean, I I think I'm worried about the kids and I think it's, it's just very harmful. Um, Mm -hmm. I was just on every town and, and I try to go back to facts, which, you know, obviously don't work. And I, and I know this, so I have, I'm on this call to learn tools to, um, engage in conversations where I can try to find out, you know, kind of back to the beginning of what you said, well, tell me, you know, why, you know, where, where did you learn about that? Or how did you find that to be the solution Uh when it seems like these, um, the shooter drills are, you know, we're in Nuvalde. They were in, you know, a lot of these places where school shootings are still occurring. Uh So a couple couple of thoughts. One one is in in general, I try to stay away from particular policy discussions, and and the reason I do that is is because the policy discussions and the policy positions rarely have anything to do with the issue itself. It's almost all driven by this gut feeling that guns are good. And guts and guns are needed, and everything else is kind of a rationalization to like come to that conclusion in every available situation. So I strike at that gut intuition rather than all of the myriad policy rationalizations that emerge. So, what questions but, would you ask someone like that? So I, I would be much more interested in, in talking about like just their history with guns in general. Like, did they grow up using guns? What was that like? How did, what, what does it mean to them to, to be a gun owner? Have they always been so pro-gun or have, have things changed for them over time and, and what, in what ways? Like those, those are the kinds of, places I would be going with that. I also would be kind of exploring the edges of their beliefs, maybe like how extreme are they in their thinking about about this topic? Like would they give a, a, a gun to a five-year-old do they, do, because of the, the Second Amendment? Do they think you know, that means five-year-olds should be able to have guns and be able to bring them to school, you know, like where, where are the limits? And that's the point at which they start to realize, oh yeah, there are limits. <laughs> and, and that can lead to, to subtle shifts in, in their thinking. But mostly again, 
as, as I was saying before, with these issues, when you're dealing with someone who's kind of at the extremes, most of the shift is going to happen in the place of them coming to recognize you not as the enemy, but kind of a fellow uh, as an ally. And, and so I try to create an alliance with whoever I'm talking with in pursuit of some common problem that we are fighting against. So what is it that we're fighting against? Is it, is it government tyranny? Okay, I'm on board with that. I wanna avoid government tyranny. Is it crime? I'm on board with that. I don't want crime dominating uh, our streets, so I'm on board with that too. Is it making pe sure people can be secure in their houses? Yes, I form an alliance around that. And then we start to talk about, okay, what are ways that we can advance that? And maybe, you know, put aside those areas where we disagree and try to find some areas where we do agree. Terrific, thanks, that helps a lot. Mm -hmm. I appreciate Great. it. It was very, very helpful. Excellent, I'm glad. All right. How are we well, doing, Rich? Well, we're, we're over time, but- All uh, right, I figured. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for doing this wonderful, informative, and helpful presentation and activities and exercises. I, I enjoyed them. I think everybody benefits from it. And hopefully we can take these tools and begin to practice them because they are very hard in real life to actually stop yourself from arguing with people. That seems to be my difficulty. And yeah. I want to, I, sometimes I feel I'm pressed for time and I want to get my view out. And I really want to express my individual individuality here. So yeah. I, gonna, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I hear you. And one of the things I like to let people know is I, this does not come naturally to me either. A lot of times people make the mistake of like, oh, she's a psychiatrist. She's all touchy-feely. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was a debater in high school. Like that is my, that is my, in, in my blood. So learning to change the way I communicate was hard for me, but I did it because I, at some point I realized, oh, what I'm doing isn't working. I better do something else. Yeah. Okay, great, great. All right, so I want to invite everybody on August, we're doing climate change and democracy, hope or hindrance. And we have two Swedish researchers who are going to be speaking to us and the link is all in the chat. So I, I want to thank everybody for coming, everybody for participating. Have a wonderful day today, and we'll see you later on this month. All right. Thank you, everyone. Between Election Day and January 6th, the Trump campaign sent millions of fundraising emails to Trump supporters, sometimes as many as 25 a day. The emails claimed the, quote, left-wing mob was undermining the election implored supporters to, quote, step up to protect the integrity of the election and encourage them to, quote, fight back. 
The claims that the election was stolen were so successful. President Trump and his allies raised $250 million. But as the select committee has demonstrated, the Trump campaign knew these claims of voter fraud were false. Yet, they continued to barrage small dollar donors with emails, encouraging them to donate to something called the Official Election Defense Fund. The select committee discovered no such fund existed. I don't believe there is actually a fund called the Election Defense Fund. Is it fair to say the Election Defense Fund was another, is, I think we called it a marketing tactic? Yes. On November 9th, 2020, President Trump created a separate entity called the Save America PAC. Most of the money raised went to this newly created PAC, not to election-related litigation. $1 million to Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows' charitable foundation. $1 million to the America First Policy Institute, a conservative organization which employs several former Trump administration officials. $204,857 to the Trump Hotel Collection and over $5 million to Event Strategies, Inc., the company that ran President Trump's January 6th rally on the ellipse. The Trump campaign and its surrogates misled donors as to where their funds would go and what they would be used for. So not only was there the big lie, there was the big ripoff.